It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. The United States Secret Service is a federal law enforcement agency made up of fearless and talented members who are tasked with the all-important job of protecting our nation's leaders. Despite their unwavering bravery and impressive skill set, sometimes extra help is needed in order to subdue a threat. And that's where the canines come in. The Secret Service's canine teams consist of highly trained Belgian Malinois who, along with their handlers, detect and prevent threats and ensure the highest levels of security for the president and the first family. One canine hero, Hurricane, was recognized for his valor and strength when he prevented a threat from entering the White House when President Obama and his family were inside. On the night of October 22, 2014, an intruder jumped over a fence at the White House, entering the North Lawn, where he was soon apprehended by canine Hurricane. Despite being repeatedly punched and kicked, Hurricane never faltered. Canine Hurricane was recognized for his bravery that night, receiving honors including the Secret Service's Award for Meritorious Service, the Department of Homeland Security's Secretary's Award for Valor, the Animal Medical Center in New York City's Top Dog Award, Great Britain's PDSA Order of Merit, and the Distinguished Service Medal making him the first dog in history to win the award. On today's bonus episode, I'm joined by Canine Hurricanes handler, former United States Secret Service Special Operations Officer, Marshall Miraki. After retiring from the Secret Service, Marshall founded Canine Hurricanes Heroes, a nonprofit dedicated to providing retired law enforcement and military dogs with subsidized veterinary care. Marshall, thank you so much for joining me today. Tell me about how you were first selected to be a part of the White House's canine SWAT team. I started in 2006 with the Secret Service and I knew right away I wanted to get into SWAT and of course wanted to get into the tactical canine unit. So I patrolled around DC for uh, the first year as a patrol officer and then I had my SWAT tryout for emergency response team. And then about two years later, I was able to get onto the tactical canine unit in 2012 when I paired up with canine hurricane. So I never had a dog before, never had a dog growing up. And I just, you know, I knew right away that that's a unit that I was just compelled to be a part of the bond between the handler and the canine seeing it for the first time was just, it was something that I just felt absolutely compelled to be a part of. I, I wanted to have that relationship with a canine and that working relationship and, have a career with a dog, just, you know, like I saw the officers come before me. So um, I put in for canine. I was the only one who didn't have a dog growing up. And we go through our first day. I get there. I think I'm about to get a dog and it's, it's all classroom stuff. So the anticipation <laughs> builds up the second day uh, it's medical and how to treat the dog canine psychology. You know, it's, I guess in my head, you know, I'm going into a tactical canine unit, you show up, you start doing stuff with a canine. It's not like that at all. You have to cover, you know, all the administrative stuff leading up to that, make sure you're right fit for the canine unit. And then what I didn't know at the time is the 
instructors are assessing your personality, your background, your skills, trying to see, you know, what kind of fit you'll be with because they also do that with the canine. Sometimes they pair similar personalities. Sometimes they do opposites. Um, you know, it's, they're the experts in that. So I never question that. I walk through the kennels on my first day and they give you a harness and a leash. And as I'm walking down the row, first dogs jumping up, big German shepherd biting at the fence, uh, you know, like, okay, definitely not letting that one out. Second <laughs> one's big Belgian Malinois growling at me, deep belly growl. And I'm kind of looking back like, you're really supposed to just walk in here and, and open this fence and put this harness on this dog. So I obviously don't want to ask any questions. I'm just praying that there's one that's not trying to kill me before I get to the end. So I go two more dogs, same thing. I get to the last dog at the end and there's Hurricane just staring at me. Um, I knew right then I was like, all right, one, this is the only dog that's not trying to eat me. Two, you know, he's just giving that look like he was waiting for me to get down there. He was also the only black dog we had. So all the other ones were kind of a golden brown tan. So I knew they all looked the same to me. I was like, well, I'll definitely be, be able to separate this one from the pack. So I take Hurricane out. We go out into the yard. We start doing a bunch of training exercises. And every couple hours, the instructors tell you to switch so they can see with different dogs. And I knew right away, you know, I, I had to be with Hurricane. So I would switch and then, you know, I thought I was being sneaky when they weren't looking. I'd go back up to the person I switched with and said, oh, they said to switch back. And they're like, oh, I didn't hear that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they, they said switch back. So in my head, I just wanted them to see me with Hurricane. But we started going the first couple of days and everything was was going great. I really thought I had the hang of it. You know, I told him to do something. He did it. Starting to think this canine thing's not all that hard. I'm looking at all the other handlers who had a prior experience. Their dogs are, you know, running around the yard first couple of days. And I thought I was a natural. So I ended up finding at the first, uh, at the end of the first week, the instructors called me over and just said, we can't watch this anymore. Your dog's already trained. We didn't have the heart to tell you. <laughs> um, so that was, that was um, humbling for sure. <laughs> so I, I didn't believe it at first. And I was like, what do you mean he's already trained? They're like, the other five dogs are brand new. All they, they all people had, you know, experience with dogs before you didn't. We had one that already had all the training down. We paired them with you. We just didn't think you were going to walk around super cocky like you did it yourself. Uh, until we realized you actually thought you were doing that. So that takes us up to my, my first week in the, uh, in the canine selection so far. So tell us a little bit about how and where Hurricane was trained and how old he was when you guys were first paired together. Sure. So typically we get dogs right around one year old. They come from overseas. They come to uh, a middleman out in Indiana where they host the canine Olympics. And then we typically go pick up dogs from there. Occasionally there is a dog that has some prior training. Hurricane was unique. He uh, was also from overseas. He was titled in uh, KMPV. So he had a lot of the basic commands down. And he was also, you know, when they're overseas, we don't know the exact background of the dog. Um, Hurricane did all have, have all his national certs from from overseas. So he had all the basics down. The only thing I had to change was uh, I'm left-handed. So he was set up for a right-handed shooter. So, cause they typically are obviously. So I did have to switch him back, but that was pretty much the only thing I had to do through training. I spent the majority of training, training other people's dogs in the class. So when you go through 
you know, whatever you're working on that day, if it's um, hides or, um, you know, long range deployments, when, when one dog gets it, you kind of put them up for the day and then continue to work on the next dog. So since Hurricane got almost everything on his first or second try, I spent most of the time, you know, working with other handlers and other dogs in the class. The class goes for about 10 weeks. There's, I think, about 30 tests that the dog has to pass before they come operationally. And then they have to recertify every month. Was, that's very unusual. But when you have dogs guarding the White House, the president, the president's family, news cameras everywhere to include Fox News, as you know, everything has to be extremely locked tight and the dogs have to be perfect. So the training uh, certifications for them, the standards that they hold them to is, is the highest that you know I've, I've seen to date. Uh, Hurricane, after the 10-week course, graduated and uh, we went operational in 2012 together for the emergency response team and were immediately assigned to the White House. We're going to take a quick break more from our guest after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And so just going back for a moment, um, part of what made Hurricane unique, you mentioned his black fur, but also that he's a Belgian Malinois with black fur. And you talked about, um, so we're not sure of there's some opacity as he comes from overseas, but you said he had all his certs. And that means, I'm assuming these standards that you mentioned, so certifications of qualifications, you mentioned the canine Olympics. So these are cues for him. These are commands. Um, and did that also include a birth registry then like AKC standards? Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the breed itself? And then when you talk about these certs and standards, um, and you're also, I'm assuming stating specifically about the United States secret service, correct? Yes. Okay. The United States secret service. So, and you're obviously very knowledgeable about the dog. So he did have the AKC, um, he also was trained for dual purpose. So when they brought him over as well, so he was about three years old is where most of the dogs were right around one years old. Um, he did have his certs. Uh, he was certified overseas as a bomb dog as well. I think the instructors were waiting to see which way he could go. The Secret Service uh, does not do dual purpose dogs. So um, they have the uh, people dogs that are out on Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, the friendly floppy ear dogs. They have the EOD explosive ordinance. And then if you're on the emergency response team, they have the tactical apprehension canine. So at that point, they typically, if they can get a dog in the tactical canine unit, they will. And if for whatever reason, uh, the dog, you know, is still has all these strong skills, whether it's smell or search, they will move them over to EOD if that's the plan for that specific dog. If they can get them through the tactical canine unit and the personality fits, they will do that. So Hurricane, obviously, that went incredible right out of the gate. So he did. We basically protect the White House, president, president's family. Anyone comes over the fence, the dogs are there. You know, after 9-11, with the threat of suicide bombers and things like that, the tactical canine unit was created, uh, just evolving with the times and the different things that were going on through the world. So 
they changed some things with the fence. You know, we changed some things on the interior. Security is always evolving. So just keeping up with everything that the tactical canine unit was definitely became a, a huge asset for us in the Secret Service. So while the dogs themselves can perform different functions, when they are assigned, each unit and the humans within the unit perform specific functions. And so walk us through after you guys went live in 2012, what was an average typical day like for you and Hurricane, including waking up? Did he did he sleep at the White House? Is there a kennel there? Did he come home with you? And then what would that patrol or your, your daily duty sort of look like as part of that tactical team? Oh, yeah. So the one thing that's super unique about Secret Service dogs, whether you're in the EOD unit or the uh, tactical canine unit, the dogs are with us 24-7. A little bit different than the military going on deployments or even some police departments. The dogs are dual trained. For us, the dog is single purpose and is single handler. So that dog is with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, the bond between a dog and a handler is already absolutely incredible. When you put 24 hours a day, it really just it improves that bond that much more. And that's all reflective when you get out into training because you the dog has all kinds of skills, but it's also the relationship and being able to read the handler and the handler being able to read the dog. So a typical day for us, we would wake up. Geez, at the time I was living in Baltimore City, so we'd get up at four o'clock. I'd walk them around uh, Patterson Park right there in downtown Baltimore. We'd be in the car by about 4.30. DC rush hour traffic is it's pretty much as miserable as you could imagine. So we'd always get in before traffic. Uh, we'd be at the White House right around 5.15, 5.30. And typically we would set up on the north or south side, depending on where we were posted for the day. And you know, our job right there is just to make sure nobody gets by our sector and, and keep all the people, all the staff inside, and obviously the president, his family, all the White House workers safe. So we would patrol, you know, sometimes you're just hanging out, depends on what's going on. So the White House is extremely dynamic with the personnel flowing in and out during the day, the West Wing, uh, nonstop traffic coming in and out. So that dictates how we do things. The day changes a little bit by that. And then if you're still there at night, night shift, it's kind of a different scenario. We start doing sweeps. We work with the team. The dog's constantly integrated with the rest of the emergency response team. So the dog always knows, you know, who is on his side if, if something happens and you know, guns come out, dogs come out, people are running around. The dog needs to know which unit he is a part of, who is his crew. So we're constantly taking the dogs out and moving around sectors, just keeping the dogs with the rest of the team all day, making sure the bond isn't just with me. You know, the commands come from me, but we work as a team and as a unit. It could be six people. It could be 20 the dog has to know that he's part of the unit, who's on his team, who's not. Right. You are establishing the pack. So then that leads us to October 22nd, 2014. Marsh, describe what happened that night. That's kind of one of those days you wait your whole career to happen. Crime in the city was getting pretty bad at the time. You know, being Secret Service, working White House protection, you have your protection related incidents your protection-related crime incidents, and then you also have things that are going on in the city, crime-related incidents. Sometimes they're directly related to the White House, the president, protection in general, or it's just crime in your area that happens to overflow directly 
into you know the White House area, no different than a stolen car chase that ends up you know coming around right around the White House and crashes into the side of one of the bollards, which happened actually quite frequently. So we get through our shift. We do a uh, 8A to 8P that day. So I was pushed a little to the right. So at about around seven o'clock, right at the end of the shift, it's getting dark, uh, lights start dimming down. And when business hours are over, you know, the, the workers leave the grounds. Obviously, a lot of the staff clears out. So it, it definitely changes how you dictate your, your day or your night. We did our little evening sweep where we walk around, we clear the fence line, make sure nothing's going on, nothing came through. Also spacing out so I, you know, we can see out on Pennsylvania Avenue and uh, 15th Street, depending on if you're on the north or south side. So that shift, I was finishing a 12-hour shift and I was stationed the northeast side, so right outside of the east wing on Pennsylvania Avenue. We walk around, we do our sweep, and then we come back to the car and we're, we're just hanging out. Uh, scanning the north grounds and the canines they feed off of every single thing you do every movement your energy level when they're with us all day they learn to react off off of what they see with us if I'm sure I need to go straight and he's pulling to the right I go right I know he's right his senses are better than mine so I'm looking over towards the east side and hurricane kind of jumps up out of the his back seat in the kennel reaches his arm over my left shoulder and kind of hits me and makes like a deep belly growl. Now, I'm not saying Hurricane knew what was going on, but what I'm saying is I was looking to the right and somebody was climbing the fence to the left and that happened. <laughs> so I believe that, you know, he saw something out of the norm and he he did that pre-deployment kind of belly growl. It's not a bark. It's kind of like uh, a belly growl. He half jumped over the seat on my left side. So it turns my attention to the left and I see an individual climbing over the fence. So I immediately deploy out a uh, hurricane. Actually, his feet hit the ground before mine. We have a, obviously an express door that, that allows them to shoot out really quick and their speed. They almost shoot out right behind you under your feet. And by the time I get my feet set, he's already uh, out pulling in front of me, heading towards what he saw. So I deploy out on the north grounds on the east side with my team. The individual who jumped over the fence jumped on the west side of the north grounds. So there was another unit that happened to be over there with another uh, canine unit, one of Hurricane's partners, actually, that we went through basic together with. And they deploy out. And, you know, at this time, it was only one month earlier, 32 days, I believe, that an individual jumped the fence and was able to get inside the White House but we now know we are on the world stage, zero fail mission. There can't be any mistakes. We all know what's at stake. We've spoken to the current director at the time. We know he's going to Capitol Hill speaking to Congress. There was a lot of things going on. It was stressed to us every day. This is, we're at zero fail right now. Everything has to be perfect from here on out. And so, Marshall, the distinction between that particular intruder and on the night that you're describing right now, October 22nd, is that night the first family was not home. But this night that you're describing, the first family was home. Yep, you're absolutely correct, Emily. So we track uh, every family member where they're at at all times. We have several mechanisms in place that we can track them. We also track them over the radio. And at this time, the first family was right inside 
right inside the front door down the hall of it, there's a family theater and the president and first lady and the two first daughters were uh, right inside there watching, watching a movie actually. So without getting into too much of security and tactics, we definitely change our posture and how, how we do things depending on where the president and his family are at in the house, if they're home, if they're away, uh, just no different than you would uh, with anything else. So the fact that that happened when they were right there, I mean, that obviously puts, makes you think, you know, a bunch of other things obviously increases the importance that they cannot get through this door. And of course, uh, just so happens, I could tell by the way the individual moved, obviously uh, playing sports in college and doing what we do. This guy was an absolutely amazing athlete. Turns out he was a college track and field athlete and was just recently uh, a few years out of college. You can just tell by the way he hopped that fence, by the way he moved. This was going to be very tough. We were having French jumpers more frequent at the time. Like I said, crime in the city was getting bad and protection, just things were, were constantly happening. So we were already on high alert. Now we have someone a month prior gets in. And now we have someone coming over the fence again. As law enforcement, government, uh, this is the situation you you want to be in. This is why you sign up to be in these situations to to help out, to protect people, to protect the president. You know, there's thousands of Secret Service officers and agents, and we we plan for every single situation. This situation happens. He starts running across the grounds, and the northwest side, uh, one of the canine teams over there. They deploy out and the individual uh, runs out. He's able to kick one of the dogs, uh, kicks the dog in the face. And there was also some equipment things that happened between the leash, the weapon systems. And there was a pause from that side on the team. And the individual goes to kind of pause to break now towards the middle where he was for a sports term, shoot the gap. And he was going to try and run right through the door, almost take the same path as which I think he saw the previous fence jumper. Obviously, it was on TV, but it looked like he was kind of trying to do the same thing. So you're watching. You see this fence jumper, athletic. He starts sprinting across the lawn. Another canine team, when you say deploys, it means release the dog. The dog goes running to him, and this intruder kicks the dog in the face. Because then of another issue, equipment issue, there's when you say the pause for a moment, the dog gets kicked in the face, retreats back. And so then the intruder like jukes to the right and it is is sprinting dead sprint toward the White House just on another place of the lawn. Is that sort of a, a correct summation of what you just said? Everything except so that the dog didn't retreat back. So basically the leash wrapped around one of the weapon systems and almost the dog treated it almost like as a recall or a command to come back. So the dog wasn't necessarily wrong. It was one of those things you train a thousand times. It doesn't happen. It, you know, it happened uh, on this particular night. I, I watched it happen, but I also saw Hurricane saw his buddy on the other side of the lawn get kicked by someone, which he was already at a 10 that pulled him where he was physically almost dragging me out on the lawn where I had to, uh, there's a there's a curb right there uh, where the where the roadway goes up around the front door where I had I was using the curb to hold my foot to restrain him uh, and hold him back. 
as the individual was stopped there and I looked over and I saw that they were having uh, an issue on the other side, that's when I had to make that split second decision. And it, it's almost, you know, in slow motion, I saw what was happening over there and I was worried that the individual was going to shoot in between um, same path that the previous jumper took. And at this point, another team had deployed out in between the canine team that was already deployed and my team with my dog, uh, there was four more of us on the east side. So now I had uh, another team in between us, which, you know, if you're around bite work a lot in the dark at night, uh, we wear all black, of course. It's extremely risky to send the dog to weave through uh, you know, several individuals knowing that he's going to know the right where to go. It's It's no different than taking a sniper shot. You have to decide can I do this or can I not? The same thing. Can this dog differentiate between what's going on over there and all these people who ask the run backs? If, if you make the wrong decision, you lease the dog and it's dark and he bites the first person he, he comes across. Now you have a whole nother issue. So I just knew with Hurricane and just his skill level, uh, it's like nothing I'd ever seen. He just, he was just one of those dogs that just always figured it out and got it right. And with what was going on and the, the, you know, there was no level, there was no room for error. I just decided to deploy hurricane. I was able, we used the ears almost like targets on a, on a weapon system. So when he had his, he was actually elevated a little up for me because he was up on the lawn. I was on the roadway. I could see the individual right through his ears. And, uh, you know, we call it target lock. I knew that he was locked on him. So I decided to let him go, and it's to this day, it's one of the most amazing things I've seen in the canine world. Pitch dark, bunch of individuals dressed all in black, and Hurricane just weaves, you know, in and out of each team member, runs a across the entire north grounds of the White House, and takes the individual uh, down to the ground. And that's where the fight ensued from there. Uh, like you've seen, actually, Fox captured it live, so was able to re, re see it that night on the news, but. That's uh, that's everything that led up to the actual incident and how tactically everything happened uh, during the deployment. More of the Fox True Crime podcast coming up. Now, talk to us about then the fight itself and what you went through as Hurricane's partner and as his best friend in the moments of that fight. So this is the hard part that I always hope doesn't come in the story, but... I, I'd be doing him a disservice if I didn't talk about his heroics. It just uh, every time I talk about it, no matter how many times, it always takes me right back to that day, which, you know, for me and my best friend was the hardest thing I ever had to watch or, or be a part of. You're around the dog more than your family, more than your wife, more than your kids. The dog is there no matter what. That makes something like this super hard when the main reason you're there at the White House, obviously, is to protect the president and him and his family. And now I also have my best friend out there who's gets into a fight with somebody who was not feeling any pain. So obviously, when you're training, you feel you train for every situation possible, but you don't train for someone who doesn't you know, respond to pain. Typically, in the canine world, there's obviously other ways it you could escalate to if, if that's the case, but in this scenario, Hurricane deploys out and the individual just immediately starts 
punching Hurricane, kicking Hurricane, lifts him up over his head, slams him to the ground. This is the hard part when you have to decide what to do next. And you can't make an emotional decision. I can't treat it as that's my kid out there. I have to, the security of the White House has to come first and you have to make a decision on is this dog going to be able to basically have a 70 pound dog fighting a 210 pound man. And if the man's not feeling any pain, uh, you know, he's basically fighting someone three times his size and I have to make the decision, can he win this or do I need to intervene in another way? Like I said, with the slow motion of, of watching things, it's also everything slows down in your head too, or you're processing full thoughts in microseconds. And do I let him continue this? Do I intervene? And obviously looking back, I'd made the right decision, but at the time I, you know, I struggled with it a lot watching him go through that and the the one thing that kept stopping me going is that he would never forgive me if I had to come in and intervene or if we did not let him do what he was meant to do uh, if you watch him train watch our unit train that dog was born to protect that's just every single thing about him to this day you know he's still with us that's in his nature he's just he cares about nothing else other than protecting. It's amazing to see. It's even at turns 14 uh, next week. It's still, you know, he can barely see, can barely walk. And still every fiber of his being is protect who I'm with. It's, it makes me just absolutely love the canines, the programs, the respect I have for them. It's just, it's amazing to be born with an instinct where you don't care about yourself. You just care about the people you're with. I think it's the most amazing thing and it's why I stay involved. I, I love watching it. So he's putting his life on the line at this point. I, I can tell it's getting bad. And all I know is that he knows, he doesn't know he's at the White House. He doesn't know the president and his family's inside. He doesn't know the ramifications of what could happen if this person gets inside. He just knows dad is behind him and do not let anyone get by him. And he's willing to die to make that happen. And if that's what he has to do, he would do that. And for me to take that away for him or to stop or to intervene, he would never forgive me. And I couldn't take that away from him either. I just had to trust that he could, he could do his job and that what he was trained to do, even though he's now in a situation that he has never been trained. You know, you don't reenact beating a dog within an inch of their life. You do, it's not something you would do in training. I knew that he would be able to, to get the job done. And he did. He eventually pulled the individual all the way to the ground and then actually dragged him back towards the fence, which is even more than I expected. And I couldn't believe what I was watching, but he actually pulled him back on the ground away from us to the fence so we could create time and distance and everyone could get in a, in a position. And then we eventually went in and handcuffed the individual. So I, you know, I got to witness something that people just do not get to witness in their lifetime. I got to be a part of something really special. You know, there's a being that is willing to die for me that I now know and have seen firsthand. And that's just an absolutely amazing thing. There is not a day that goes by that he's not sitting on the floor and I don't look at him and think that. I'm just so lucky. And the fact that he is still around, uh, he retired shortly after because of the beating he took that night and the fact that he is still here with us and that just every day I get with him is a blessing. Every day I get to see that and remember that. I'm just, I'm so lucky. Uh, so I finally go to get him and I, I pull him back and I get him back to the car and I can see the blood all over him, his arms and legs, he's all cut and scratched up. And he's just, 
tail wagging, just staring at me, waiting for that praise, you know, dad, did I do a good job that he needed that reinforcement that what he did was right. He wasn't licking his arm or licking his wound or, or doing anything. You know, he wasn't concerned for himself. He needed to know that he did a good job. And that's, you know, that's the most special moment of my life. Uh, that's kind of how the situation itself uh, wrapped up right there, all bloody in the back of my Tahoe on the North grounds of the White House, you know, performing a, a medical check on Hurricane and my team was able to take the individual into custody. And as you mentioned, Marshall, this was caught on live television. Uh, Fox, local Fox, had cameras trained. There's there's all the time cameras on the White House. And so this went down on live television. The nation watched canine hurricane take down that intruder and suffer a brutal beating in the process. And it was hard to watch for all of us let alone, of course, as you've described, through your eyes, your best friend, your partner, and within the command and intervention of your within your control. So you having to make that hard decision of letting it continue because you knew Hurricane would never forgive you if you intervened. The result was severe injuries for Hurricane. You mentioned he had to be medically retired. And then what did you learn about the state of retired canines here in this country? Uh, you're absolutely right. The world, the world was watching. Uh, Fox captured it live, and I know that because uh, right after we were able to get backfill for another handler, because when we're there, if something else happens, second attack, third attack, we're going back in. So I now I'm trying to get him out of there because I know something is wrong with him. But we also were at the White House. President's still inside. So if it's if it's game time again, we have to go again. So. I'm waiting for uh, the relief unit to come. And the second they did, we rushed Hurricane to the ER. And as we walk, I'm still in my full kit, uh, rifle slung, Hurricane. I got his muzzle on because now I know he's hurt. And I'm bringing him into a 24-hour veterinary clinic. And on the TVs in there, they had Fox News on. And it was playing up on the TV. So I, until that point, I did not know if the cameras were on or not, you know, the news is there all during the day, obviously is night and things quiet down. They leave. Obviously somebody was still there, was able to get the cameras back on. So it was captured live. And as we walk in, you can see all the vet techs looking up at the TV and looking at us and then looking back at the TV and it's, you could see it clicking and they're, you know, cause they are in downtown DC and they're like, was that you guys? So that was, another crazy experience as well. But yeah, hurricane shortly after, like I said, the dogs have to requal every month. So he was able to pass his test that month and the next couple of months, but it, the decline came quickly. Uh, so it, the aftermath of, of what happened definitely ended his career early. He retired at seven years old. Typically our dogs go to about 11. He only made it a couple more and we could I knew what was happening uh, each month at certification and, you know, the instructors trying to talk to me saying, Hey man, you, you see what we see. Right. And I, I chose not to believe it. You know, I didn't want to believe that he was hurt or slowing down until they finally brought me in and had a heart to heart with him and said, Hey man, he did all he had to do. He did his service, let him be done because, you know, I don't want to say I was forcing them, but I definitely didn't want to let go. I didn't want to end our partnership. I didn't want to end our run. And I wanted him to do what he was born to do. So it was it was super hard for me. But they 
obviously it's what they do and they know what's best. So I had to trust them. Uh, he wasn't able to jump anymore. He was having obviously a bunch of issues with his hips and stuff from being slammed so hard. But yes, after that, um, the government, we don't, you don't pay for retired working dogs or, or medical bills. I didn't, you know, I didn't even know that necessarily at the time. I do know some dogs that retired uh, right before him. We started some GoFundMe pages and stuff to take care of them, but yet the, the government, actually most police departments, the medical bills aren't covered. So it falls on the handler. And a lot of times the handler, you know, depending on life situations is not able to take care of that dog the way that it needs to be taken care of, especially after, you know, a working career and all the dog, you know, anyone who's a handler for any type of working dog will tell you their dog loved every minute of their career, but you know, they didn't choose that. That's something, you know, we did, they happened to love, but they did that for us and they served. And it was super hard to find out that the medical care isn't taken care of. And I started learning more and more people reaching out, you know, Hey, we actually had to put our dog down because we didn't, you know, the dog had cancer and they was going to need a surgery and it was going to be, you know, ten fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. And, uh, you know, we just, we had to make the choice to just, you know, do whatever they had to do, you know, these hard choices or multiple choices. And that obviously hit me really hard as well. And then seeing other team members and situations they were in, you know, you see people's personal, personal lives and what they're able to do and not do. So it was just hard to see that the dogs not get the, you know, the best treatment in retirement that, that they earned. So coincidentally, Hurricane wins an award in New York City at the Animal Medical Center where they give him free retirement for life. And right after that happened, you know, I knew right away, I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't be the only one where my dog gets this special thing. And, you know, the other dogs did not, they've worked just as hard. They've, they've done everything they've been asked to do. And that was kind of just like a calling that this is it. Like you need to use Hurricane's story to get the word out there about other retired working dogs. And people don't know people and they have uh, in record numbers step up helping in any way possible to get this thing going for us. And there's also a ton of other charities out there in different parts of the, the country doing the same thing where we, we cover all the dogs, medical bills in retirement. And we, so many people to include, I mean, Emily, you put us on the map in, in 2019, getting the word out there when, you know, me and Lisa just started a 501c3 from scratch and just were trying to, to figure it out. And ever since that day, it just, it keeps growing and growing. We currently have 127 dogs that we sponsor all over the country, Secret Service, TSA, Border Patrol, local police, state police, Capitol Police, DOD, DIA, DOS. Army, Navy, Marines, and Air Force. So we've really spread it out there to try and cover as much as we possibly can. And we're just like today, we're always trying to get the word out. And that's why I'm always love telling Hurricane's story because, you know, now people can see firsthand what just, he's just one dog. I mean, dogs all over the country are, are on chases each night. Uh, geez, the, the dogs from Hero Dogs, the episodes I've seen, dogs taking bullets you know, for their, for their neighborhood, for their country, wherever they're serving, they need, they need this retirement. They need to be taken care of uh, without questions asked or, or finances coming up. Uh, it just needs to, whatever the dogs need, we need to support them. And that's why we started Hurricanes Heroes. And we're 
we're growing each year and we, you know, the goal one day is that every retired working dog, whether it's government, police, military, is either linked up, you know, with our charity or another charity that covers these bills in retirement. So this is no longer a thing. And I would say the ultimate, ultimate goal is the people out there working with Congress, whether it's local or at the federal level, that we can put this into law one day. So charities like ours don't need to exist and we can turn our focus on to bulletproof vests for the dogs or, or better training facilities or, you know, there's a countless things that we could, we could do instead of this. So the goal is, you know, one day to have this not be an issue anymore. And all these canine charities can now focus on something else. And thank you for, you know, just being an ambassador and always helping us, you know, get the story out there and letting me, you know, have a platform to educate people on these dogs and how amazing they are and you know, what they do for us. Thank you so much, Marshall. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Hurricane, for his service. Um, it's been such a delight for me to be your friend for these years because the bond that you've described between you and Hurricane is so evident. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you to everyone out there who's already helping out. Uh, being able to take care of these dogs is, to me, the most important thing in my life. And I, you know, I can speak for the other handlers who just who aren't able to speak on a platform like this. We are extremely, extremely grateful to everyone that helps spread our message, share our message, and you know, all the help that we get and all the support that we get. Thank you so much to everyone out there, and hopefully, I can keep spreading this word. And like you said, one day. This won't be an issue anymore. So thanks again, Emily. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.